Good morning. My name is Devin Kahn, uh, and I work with the junior high students mostly here at Highlands. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Our scripture passage will come from Matthew chapter 6, so if you have a Bible, there is one most likely under your seat in the pew, and so if you reach kind of underneath you, it's page 811 in the Bible, in your pew Bible anyways. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verses Uh, We're going to read verses 9 through 13. Currently, we're doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, a way that Jesus teaches his followers to pray. And this morning, we're at the fifth part of that prayer. We've done four parts already. uh, And the subtitle to our series is called The World's Most Dangerous Prayer. And if you want to know how the first four parts of the Lord's Prayer is dangerous, you'll have to listen to the sermons given previously in the last four weeks. You can do that on our website at highlandspca.org. You can go in and listen to previous sermons. But today we're on the fifth part of that prayer. So let's pray before we read God's word. God, may your word be spoken this morning. May your words be heard And God, may your words be acted upon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and this is the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and here's our fifth petition, or our fifth part, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the last part, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That is the part of the prayer we are going to address this morning. We live in a world where spouses cheat, children rebel, bosses fire, friends lie, pastors fail, and parents abuse. There is a lot of hurt going around. And we're talking about forgiveness this morning. And forgiveness is dangerous because it's a threat. It's a threat to our pride. It makes forgiveness extremely hard and in some cases virtually impossible. The junior high youth group went to a conference two weeks ago called The Edge. And at it, the speaker talked about a man named Kevin Turnbull. Kevin Turnbull stood up a few years ago in an Australian courtroom and with tears in his eyes stared across the room at the man who killed his son and said these words to him. Never think to look to me for forgiveness because I can assure you it will never come. I hope whatever you have left as a soul truly haunts you For the rest of your life, because it haunts my days and it haunts my nights. We pity this father. 
for what he's gone through. We understand where he's coming from. And we even applaud him for not giving this piece of filth a shred of mercy. We often have the attitude of God that that he may forgive this murderer, but don't expect me to. We all want God's forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. But many of us don't want God's ways as we forgive our debtors. And even wanting God's forgiveness doesn't mean we are quick to repent. For we are slow to repent and quick to revenge. Why? It's because we are prideful and forgiveness is a threat to our pride. In this fifth part of the Lord's prayer, this is what Jesus is teaching his followers. Jesus teaches his followers to ask for and give his forgiveness every single day. Again, Jesus teaches his followers to ask for and to give his forgiveness every single day. And there are three reasons for this that we will address this morning. There are three reasons, but these are also three shots to our pride. Because every one of these reasons hurts us. Here are the three reasons that Jesus asks us, his followers, to ask for and give his forgiveness every single day. Reason number one, our debts are enormous. Admit it. Reason number two, our debts are cleared, not by us. And reason number three, their debts are bad, but not like ours. So first, our debts are enormous. Admit it. Let's just start with getting something out of the way. Why debts in this passage and not trespasses? If you've grown up in the church, maybe you learned it. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why do we say here and why do we read, forgive us our debts? Well, both trespasses and debts are two words to describe sin. They just emphasize a different aspect of that sin. So a trespass, you think of whenever you cross the line against God's law, whenever you break God's law, whenever you go too far to what God has for you and, and commands, that is, that is sin, and that's a trespass. And a debt is whenever you don't give to God what he owes or what we owe to him, then that's a sin. So a debt is whenever we don't give to God what we owe him. And that's a sin. The original language supports this idea of debts. And that's why we have it in our text in verse 11 or 12. So what do we owe God? How are we indebted? What are our debts? What do we owe God? When someone helps you out at school or at work, Or with your kids, you may say something like, thanks, I owe you one. So what do we owe God? Well, when God created you and he gave you life and the only reason why you're sitting 
in this room this morning is because God made you and he sustained you, then we owe him our very life. We owe him everything. And so a failure to give him your life is a sin. A failure to give God what he deserves, which is wholehearted obedience, is a sin. It's part of our debt. It's part of how we fail to owe him what he deserves. Because we are called, and even in the Lord's Prayer, we are called to lift his name high. Hallowed be thy name. We are called to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to be content, not to worry about the things of this world, but to be content in God. Give us this day our daily bread. We owe him wholehearted obedience all of the time. That is what we owe him. And whenever we don't give to God what we owe him, we sin, which is a debt. And our debts are enormous. When we don't love God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our strengths, that's a debt. And our debts are enormous. When we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, that increases our debt. And our debts are enormous. An expression we hear every now and then is something like this. If I had a dollar for every time such and such happened, then I would be rich. Used to be a nickel inflation. Now it's a dollar. But well, I'm going to change the expression slightly. If God had a dollar or got a dollar for every time I sinned, then I would be poor. I did a little experiment on myself that I want to share with you this morning. Let's say you and I commit one sin every 10 minutes. Now, in my mind, that is about as gracious and conservative as I could possibly come up with. One sin every 10 minutes. That is giving you more than the benefit of the doubt in myself. And if you have a hard time with that number, if you think that's too many... Then, then I want you to do something. I want you to try to love God with all of your thoughts, all of your might, and all of your body for 10 minutes. And let me know how that goes. Right? Let's say one sin. Let's just, it's just a, an estimate. One sin every 10 minutes. That would mean that six sins per hour. And because I'm only going to count the hours that you and I are awake, which is, for me, it's about 16 hours a day, then that's 96 sins a day. And if it's 96 sins a day, that's 672 sins a week. And if it's 672 sins a week, that means it's 34,944 sins a year. And for me... The fact that God has created me and sustained me for 34 years. What did I do to pay him back? Well, I betrayed him 1,188,096 times. Happy birthday, me. Our debts are enormous. Admit it. If you have trouble coming to grips and admitting this biblical fact, let me ask you to measure yourself against 
him. Measure yourself against God. Examine your thoughts. Examine your words and actions and see how it compares to God. See how it lives up to this this idea of we owe him everything, wholehearted obedience all of the time. And in order to measure your life up against his, you must first know him. You must know the God who is holy, holy, holy. So study him. Study his character. Study his work. Study his word. This is how we get to know him. And as you get to know him, you'll get to know you real well. Because our debts are enormous. One exercise that I've found helpful, and I still remember it to this day. In college, the pastor asked me to read the Ten Commandments slowly, just go one by one on the Ten Commandments, and ask myself, have I lived up to this commandment in my thought life? in my words and in my actions? Have I lived up to each one of these commandments? And my conclusion was, no, I haven't lived up to any of these commandments. Our debts are enormous, admit it. The second reason is not only our debts are enormous, but the second reason we are to ask for and give forgiveness every single day is that our debts are cleared, not by us. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, We have to remember something. Jesus is teaching his followers to pray. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching his people. And the only way a person becomes one of his people is if their debts are wiped away, if if their debts are cleared. And the only way our enormous debts are cleared is that someone else pays for them. Jesus is called our Redeemer. And it's because he comes to buy us back. He comes to pay our debts. He himself was without debt because he himself never failed to give God what God deserves. He is the only one to perfectly give God what he is owed. Jesus was debt free. And out of his great love for us, He took on our enormous debts and he paid for them. And the only way that these debts can be cleared and paid for is with blood, because that's the system God set up in the Old Testament. It's the blood of a lamb. And we know from Scripture, because Scripture says in the New Testament, that Jesus is the lamb of God. He's the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb, the debt-free lamb. He's the only one whose blood can be spilt to pay for debts such as ours. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We can't pay ourselves, and it's a shot to our pride. We can't manage these debts. We can't fix this situation. But sadly, it, but sadly, it doesn't stop us from trying, does it? We tell ourselves not to feel guilty. We go to others hoping that they will ease the burden, the guilt, the sin in our lives. And then at times we work really hard to make some $1 payments towards our millions and millions of dollars of debt. 
We try really hard to make those $1 good deed payments so that we can chip away at that million-dollar debt. It's a shot to our pride because we can't even make a dent into this enormous debt before God. We must declare bankruptcy before him. And we must go to the only one who can clear our debts, Jesus, the Lamb of God. This past summer, the junior high youth group has been doing a summer Bible study studying the life of Judas. We've been using a book called What Would Judas Do? A really good devotional for any age. We've been studying the life of Judas and we've been looking at the mistakes Judas made. We've been looking at how Judas, who seemed to be a believer, a disciple of Christ, turned out he wasn't. How could that happen? How could Judas, who followed Christ around, who sacrificed for Christ, who heard Christ, who showed every inclination that he was a believer, how did he turn out not to be a Christian? We've been studying his life, and one of the girls asked a very good question. She asked, why wasn't Judas forgiven when we have other characters in the Bible who were? For instance, Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus once. Peter betrayed Jesus three times. So if you're looking at the scoreboard, Peter's losing. Peter's the one that shouldn't be forgiven. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus, and on top of that, he felt really bad about it. So much so that he went to the chief priests who originally gave him the money for selling out Jesus. He went to the chief priests, gave back the money, and he looked to the chief priests to ease his guilt. He basically was asking the chief priests, can you make this right? Can you forgive me? And the chief priests appropriately and and said to Judas, we can't help you. What's done is done. Go away. We know Judas was torn up about it. We know he regretted his decision. We know he looked to the chief priest to ease his guilt. But we also know, according to his actions, he did not repent. Yes, he felt bad, but he did not repent. On the other hand, by Peter's actions, we know that he repented. Yes, he felt bad, and yes, he repented. Because Peter went to Jesus to be cleared of his debts. Because Jesus is the only one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus forgives anyone who repents, and Peter repented. We read a promise in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that goes like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise of God that we can bank on. Jesus will forgive you if you repent, if you go to him. And if it's 
if it's repentance that leads to forgiveness and not just regret, then what's the difference? What's the difference between repentance and simply regret? Repentance is when you turn from your sin. You don't want to do that sin anymore. You have every intention of killing that sin and hating that sin and not doing it ever again. That's your intention. That's your heart's cry because you've offended a holy God and you want to please him. That's repentance. Regret is, I feel really bad. I've messed up. I'm going to get punished. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. It's a desire not to sin again. It's a desire to follow God and his ways. It's not a selfish response to getting out of trouble. Judas, by his actions, simply regretted. Peter, by his actions, did regret his actions, but he repented as well. If you want a good example of repentance looks like, go ahead this afternoon and read Psalm 51, because that's the chapter where David repents of committing adultery. And you can see both his desire not to sin again and his desire to please God. So Jesus asks his followers to pray that we may ask for forgiveness every day and that we may give forgiveness every day. And it's because our debts are enormous. And it's because our debts are cleared. But thirdly, it's because their debts are bad, but not like ours. Remember again, Jesus is teaching his followers, his people, Christians, how to pray. And he's teaching Christians that they ought to, yes, ask God to forgive them, but also as we forgive our debtors. And so Jesus expects Christians to be forgiving of others. If you look back at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer covers verses 9 through 13. And verse 14, the very next verse after the Lord's Prayer, goes like this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This teaching is crystal clear. It's hard because the pain from being hurt by someone speaks oftentimes much louder than this teaching. Have you been wounded by someone? Have you been deeply hurt? By someone? Most of us could probably answer that yes. And, and I can't, in many instances, even pretend to know what you're going through or to pretend the pain that you're in for experiencing someone else's sin against you. I can't. I can't imagine what that's like. I don't know what you're going through. But here's what I do know. Yes, you've been wounded but so has Christ. And Christ has been wounded in worse ways, and so he understands your pain. I don't know what you're going through, but I know Christ has been wounded in worse ways, and the reason why was to pay for your debts. I don't know what you're going through, but I know Christ has been wounded 
in worse ways. And in the middle of him being wounded for our debts, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a story Jesus tells later in the book of Matthew and this is Matthew chapter 18, which, by the way, Matthew chapter 18 is the, the probably the best and clearest chapter on how to deal with people who hurt you and people that you hurt and how to deal with that confrontation. And it's about forgiveness. And Peter asked in that chapter, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who hurts me or sins against me? And Peter suggested an answer. He said, how about seven? Because that's a lot of times. Peter tried to impress probably Jesus, his teacher, by giving the number seven. And Jesus responds, no, Peter, not seven, but 70 times seven. Then he goes on to tell a story about a king who summons his servant in to his palace. And this servant owes him millions of dollars. And the king says, you have to pay right now. Pay your debt to me. And the servant says, I can't. I don't have the money. So the king orders for the servants everything he has to repossess it and to sell it, to try to start to pay this debt. And the servant throws himself at the throne for mercy, begs the king for mercy, and the king says, you're forgiven. Now go, free, a free man. You don't have to pay me one cent of your debt. I've cleared your debts. And so the man walks out of the palace a free man, so you would think. The reason why we know he's not a free man is because of what he does next. He bumps into one of, his, one of his fellow servants who owes him a couple thousand dollars, and he asks the servant, pay up. And his fellow servant pleads for mercy, I can't pay. So the man who just left the palace says, okay, then you're going to jail until you can pay me. The very punishment that he deserved, he inflicts on his fellow servant. So the king gets word of what happened. The king calls back the man who he forgave and he says, you're going to jail to rot away for the rest of your life until all your debts have been paid. Because if you and I can't forgive someone a couple thousand dollar debt, then who are we to be forgiven millions of dollars of debt? Turns out meeting the king didn't change this man's life or his ways because the man who was forgiven much wasn't willing to forgive a little. And I'm not saying this little can't hurt. And I'm not saying the wounds that you feel from someone else's sins is a small deal. But I am saying that in compared with our sins to God, there's no comparison. Their debts are bad but not like ours. C.S. Lewis once said, forgiveness is a great idea until you have something to forgive. Forgiveness is hard. So I, do, I want you to imagine the sin that would hurt you the most. And maybe, like we mentioned in the beginning, Kevin Turnbull lost his son. His son was murdered. Maybe that's the sin that would hurt you the most. What is it that, what is the sin that would hurt you the most? And my question to you is, 
Is that sin that would hurt you the most by somebody else, is that worse than your sins against God? And my sins against God, and the biblical answer to that is, no, our sins are enormous. Our debts are enormous. And their debts are small in comparison to mine. And so if the person who hurts you repents, we are required to forgive them from our heart. If a son tells his father that he wishes he were dead and runs away and spends all the family money on the craziest parties you could ever imagine, and if that son comes to his senses and realizes he's made a huge mistake and he has offended his father and he wants to go back to him and ask for mercy and forgiveness, that father is required to forgive. And so are we. If someone has hurt us and repented, we are required to forgive them. What does forgiveness look like? It includes these four promises. These are four promises I got from one of my RTS classes that I'm just going to share with you. What does forgiveness look like? What does forgiveness look like? It looks like this. Four promises. One, a promise to never bring it up to the person who hurt you. Two, a promise to never bring it up to others. Three, a promise to never bring it up to yourself or at least dwell on it. And fourth, forgiveness is a promise to reach out to that person with love. The good news about God's forgiveness is that he fixes our debts. He clears them and he fixes us. He fixes our debts and he fixes us. He changes our hearts and we being forgiven of so much, we must be willing to be ready to forgive those who hurt us and repent. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One of my favorite songs to sing at church is Jesus Paid It All. And in it, just want to recite a couple of lines that I think get to what we're talking about here. Jesus paid it all, all our debts. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Because God not only made us, if God also saved us through Jesus clearing our debts, we owe him everything. The song also says, Oh, praise the one who paid my debts and raised this life up from the dead. This fifth, peti- this fifth petition, this part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us that we are to ask for and give his forgiveness every single day. And it's because our debts are enormous. Admit it. It's because our debts are cleared, not by us. And it's because their debts are bad, but not like ours. Let's pray. Oh God, you made us. We owe you everything. And to thank you for making us, we have gone against you at every, every part of our lives, in our thought life, in our words, and in our actions. We've gone against you. We've offended you millions 
of times. But Lord, you didn't just make us, but in Christ, in his blood, you saved us. And so we adore you. We adore how someone could forgive us of such a debt as ours, but you did, and we praise you. Lord, our debts are enormous. May you help us to see it. May we come to grips with our debts. May you help us forget the people who have hurt us. And Lord, thank you for clearing our debts. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to forgive those who have hurt us because we've been forgiven of so much. And Lord, I also ask that you would teach us to pray the prayer that the disciples were taught to pray. And so I would ask you, the congregation, to pray with me the Lord's Prayer as we close. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.